Synchronicity will take you along. And here's your host, Travis William Skink Mateer. Okay, welcome to another episode of Zoom Cron. I'm your host, Travis Mateer, and the last two episodes have been focused on school board stuff, so more local local politics. Um, and this episode is going to be a little bit different, different in that I will be actually talking and interviewing someone. So, um, very much not interviewing in the last two episodes, more just me, uh, talking about some stuff and then reading some things, including other people's op-eds and then playing some, some audio footage from the school board meeting, Missoula County school board meeting on 2-2. No, I'm sorry, 2-22-2022. So what is going to happen today? I'm going to probably take about 15 or 20 minutes in the intro to get into some some new things that I'm doing, new and exciting things that I'm doing. And then the interview is going to be with Greg Sestero. And I had to scrap the, the introduction that I did previously because... Well, I've been sitting on this interview hoping to do a second follow-up interview, and the timing just hasn't worked out for Mr. Sestero or myself, Um, but I really was enjoying the 45 minutes I did get, or I I enjoyed the 45 minutes I did get in studio here in Missoula to, to talk to a filmmaker about his film Miracle Valley. And so as I was thinking about a possible second interview, kind of a follow-up, because I I spoke with Greg before he actually showed his film, Miracle Valley, at the Roxy here in Missoula, and then The Room was going to be shown. So for those that are not aware, The Room is considered to be a, a fairly awful movie, but to the degree that it has a cult following awful. And so um, we discussed that, Greg and I, in our interview. And Miracle Valley, we discuss how looking into the real things that happen in our world, some of the interesting real-life characters. Um, In Greg's case, he was doing some exploration in Arizona, I believe. It's been about a month since we talked, so (laughs) it has been over a month. So, But the church that he was exploring, the, the interesting pastor that he did some research about that kind of helped form this fictional narrative this fictional movie and i've been thinking a lot about just fiction non-fiction the bleed over that, that, that can happen um specifically how i feel like really i've entered this twin peaks episode sometimes um the reporting i was doing this past week was <laughs> i don't even know um you, you think just confirming that a sheriff is in the hospital would would not be too difficult since the hospital itself confirmed that the sheriff was in the hospital going so far as to give me the room number and then trying to connect me to the room and then I hang out Um, but the sheriff's department in Mineral County they were not knowledgeable or open to really any kind of information provided to me citizen journalist I was wearing my citizen journalist hat 
But here's the thing about what I'm going to be describing. Wearing multiple hats is going to be a theme in some of the reporting I have cooking, some of the stuff I got coming up. And uh, there's an interesting approach that I'm developing. Right now, my working title for this new approach is Journa Tuning. That's being journalistic and then tuning in with a song, kind of focusing in, reducing the journalistic clips on the ground reporting. But like I say, reducing that into, into a song mode. Where did I get such an inspiration for this? Well, poetry. That's right. I went to the University of Montana to be trained as a poet. They were successful. I consider myself a poet. Ah, sorry, I had to drink some water there. I'm not a poet that drinks wine anymore. Just just water and other um, other drinks. Sometimes with caffeine. So my my poetry thinking. One of my poets. Uh, there's so many poets I, I like, but um, I'm really interested in Gary Snyder's approach. And specifically, Gary Snyder's use of Eastern tradition in terms of poetic techniques. Haiku is something that Gary Snyder likes, but he was never limited to haiku. He liked to integrate prose of certain little limited chunks, sometimes throw some haiku images in. And so I was actually going online to see if I could find Gary Snyder describing what he does. And I did. I find something found something. This is an interview between Udo Wenzel and Gary Snyder. Oh, let's see. So let me read this. Um, here is here is Udo asking a question. In 1956, after you had left the North American West Coast and the community of beat poets, you moved to Japan where you lived for the next 12 years, studying Chinese and Japanese language and receiving teachings in a Zen monastery. Did you come in touch with, hai, with Hajins? I think that's the word. What would you say did you did your view of haiku change as you faced it in its origin country? Here's Gary Snyder's response. I met no haiku poets with the exception of Nakagawa Soen Roshi at his temple near Mount Fuji. I stayed there two nights and went for a walk with him up the mountain. We never talked about poetry. Later I learned he was a very highly regarded haiku poet as well as a Zen master. Some of the Zen monks down in Kyoto thought little of him, saying if he was serious about teaching Zen, he wouldn't be always going to those haiku poet meetings in Tokyo. I didn't have a fixed view of haiku when I went there, so I can't say it changed. And here's Udo. It is well known that you are not a haiku poet primarily, but you have used haiku within prose. It reminds me of the tradition of Basho's haibun. Above all, you've integrated haiku within longer poems. Did you have literary models for this technique? Here's Gary. I have certainly integrated tough, standalone, brief image poems that carry a load of meaning within my longer poems. I don't call them haiku. It's part of my poetic strategy. It owes something to haibun, but also to aspects of various oral traditions where songs are woven into the storytelling. <clears throat> and such oral performance is not, quote, prose. Then here's Udo. Could you please give us your definition of what a haiku is? Um, I'm not going to keep going because I'm not interested in what a definition of a haiku is. I am interested in defining for myself and others something new, something something journa tuning, which I am going to readily admit is not the most sexy sounding thing. I journa tune. 
Um, and I really, <laughs> I was trying other ones earlier today as I was getting ready, um, getting ready for the day, but nothing else sounded all that great. So, so that's what, what it's going to be. Um, what else? Let's see. I'm going to take a pause again. Apologies. I used to, um, have more sort of back and forth going with the co-host, but that's been sort of silent for, for months now. So one second. So one of the things in, in this more recent assemblage that I'm going to be putting together and probably putting out tomorrow, since it takes forever to upload stuff here in my studio, uh, I've been attempting to use some guerrilla marketing techniques with a mobile billboard that I have created with some other like-minded artists. We, excuse me, we often go out on Fridays, first Fridays especially, when there's lots of people out, lots of activity, and... Our musical stylings, it's evolving. We have a, there's a saxophone and good glory. That saxophonist can just roam around with his wireless amp. The microphone is taped to the bell of the sax. It's something to behold. And then my grocery cart slash billboard is a wonderful delivery device for the message of EngensMissoula.com documentary website documentary at that website at EnginsMissoula.com. You can go there, E-N-G-E-N-S-M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A.com. And uh, so, but I, I was really disappointed with myself, and I'm sure Great Leader was disappointed with me because part of the shtick is expressing love and adoration for Great Leader, our mayor. Mayor Engen has been in a leadership role as mayor for 16 years. He won his fifth term. It's going to be 20. So at 20 years, you do get to pretty much claim lots of stuff going on in your town. We will help him claim that through our love and support and adoration of great leader. But when you can't operate your megaphone, you are somewhat impotent on the sidewalks of this great and glorious downtown Zoomtown, urban Missoula core. So uh, unfortunately, not able this past Friday to, to do what we were doing, what we've been doing. Um, and it wasn't the batteries, it was me. There was a button pushed inadvertently. Very, very upset with myself. So I decided to make amends. And I really, it's a practical situation of having to move the carts from the place downtown so that it wouldn't get stolen or, or damaged. It looks somewhat damaged already, but that's just because that's part of the style that I was going for. Um, and really today, no, tomorrow, I'm going to have to deal with that and find a permanent place for a bit. But what I'm trying to get at is how do you engage in sort of narrative battles when, when the narrative control at certain levels is so substantial? Busting through that narrative control is really, really crazy. And to the point where a county... You know, Sheriff Mineral County Sheriff's Department can just have people answering the phone and just be like, I don't know who the sheriff is. Yeah. You want his voicemail? It's like, no, I know where he is. He's in the hospital. Room 440, motherfuckers. Come on. Like, what the fuck? What's going on here, people? Do you need me to write a song about your about your sheriff? Do you need me to call that that song Sheriff Man Guy? Because guess what? That's right. There's a song called Sheriff Man Guy now. I was bathing in some Epsom salts. Uh, sometimes I, I am inspired to write verse verses. Oftentimes the poems come to me when I'm out walking the dog in, in nice parts of the wilderness outside of the, the, the urban core. 
But then, you know, people go missing outside the urban core. They go missing inside the urban core, but they usually show up on in ditches, drowned. They're women a lot of times, but, you know, no follow-up happens about, hey, how'd you end up drowned in this puddle, lady? But uh, out in the county, different things. Sometimes they can just disappear. You can't find them. And so, yeah, Mineral County Sheriff Man Guy. It's a good song, in my humble estimation. And to help connect the dots for casual listeners, there's video. And the video has images that kind of pop up. My editing skills aren't the best. I'm not going to claim my musical skills are, are much better. But what I, what I lack in talent, um, I like to make up with in information and passion. So, um, let's see. I'm going to get to the interview now. I think you've listened to me kind of babble on long enough. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is only going to be a 13-minute introduction, so not too bad. So coming up, this is going to be the interview with Greg Sestero, filmmaker of Miracle Valley, uh, writer of the, the me- memoir, Disaster Artist. I think that's what it's called, which was made it itself into a movie with James Franco. Um, and then about 45 minutes is the length of the interview. After that, a song. And just know that that song is part of a larger video clip that I'm going to be hopefully posting tomorrow. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Anyways, I'm your host, Travis Matier. Thank you for listening. This is episode <clears throat> 24 of Zoomicron. My interview with Greg Sestero. Enjoy. Okay, so we are recording another episode of Zoom Cron, and I am in the studio with Greg Sestero. I hope I pronounced that right. Correct. Because I have done a a really sad amount of research um, about who I have across the table with me. Um, So it's only been within the last 45 minutes that I have realized that Greg Sestero was involved in the making of a film referred to at one point as the Citizen Kane of bad films called The Room. That sort of turned into a memoir called The Disaster Artist, which then turned into a film with James Franco. Um, And now Mr. Sestero is here in Missoula, in Zoomtown, um, to show Miracle Valley at the Roxy, which is showing tonight at 8 p.m., but you can't see it if you haven't bought a ticket because it is sold out. Um, And then The Room will be showing also tonight at 10 p.m., and I'm just a little bit speechless that I, I have you here, Greg. So I'm very excited that you reached out to me and that you actually listened to a podcast that I was I was interviewed on um, somewhat recently, and that's why you reached out. So I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, a big part of my last two years has been researching. I wrote, so Miracle Valley, basically, yeah. um, I was always intrigued by cults. And uh, obviously, The Room, it's a movie that came out in 2003, developed a cult following. A cult movie, yes, now. So that's sort of how I got introduced to cults because, you know, people show up to these screenings, they're dressed as characters, they throw spoons at the screen, there's rituals, there... There's like this this huge support oh, for, wow. for this movie and people will show up every month and they will sit in the same seat. They've gotten married because of this movie. So I was like, what, what is it that sparks a cult? And so I've always loved horror films and that is what drew me um, to make a horror film. And it, I decided it was gonna be about a cult. So I moved to, I was here in Missoula in 2019. We, we showed a mo- another movie okay. I'd done called Best Friends. It's a follow up to The Room. 
Hopefully it's a little bit better. <laughs> Not the uh, Citizen Kane of worst films. Now, so I, when I was here, you're, you're actually going to love this. Um, we did a showing at the Roxy and there was a, a local like musician actor who came and did a reading. We do like scene readings before yeah, the screening. Yeah. He came up and he was really great. And I was like, you know what? We're looking to cast a role in Miracle Valley to play my buddy. And I look over at him and he's got kind of like a, a Seth Rogen vibe to him. He's funny, he's smart. And I was like, you know, this sounds kind of crazy. I know you live here. What would you think about playing a role in this new film I'm doing? And sure enough, he sent me the most professional audition tape. His name is Jesse Brenham and he's a local like, oh, wow. uh, so he's in Miracle Valley. Um, so a again, local connection to, to the film being shown tonight. And he, we, we've done test screenings and everybody loves him. So it was really, it was really exciting. But um, so again, I met him through the cult of the room. And so I, I'm living in Arizona. I rented this house up on a hill on a ranch, middle of nowhere. And I thought it'd be a great, great chance to get away, unwind from the traveling, from LA, from filmmaking. And I started kind of piecing together a script there. And I drive around each day for inspiration. And I came across this old abandoned church um, near the highway, near the Mexican border. And it was this beautiful domed art church. And Rick was with me actually at the time we we're driving up and we we're like, what is this thing? This looks kind of cool. So we pull up to it and uh, it's just dead quiet. And, and you just, you hear the wind and it's just, there's, you know, there's something that happened here. And we walk up to it and my buddy was like, I don't know, don't, don't just walk up to stuff around here. You're going to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And close to the, close to the Mexican border. You, you know, yeah, to think cartel activity. Maybe, totally. Right? And there's trailers there and there's nothing here. And all of a sudden these two guys just start approaching us. And we're like, you know, what are you guys doing here? And we, we were just looking around and um, we're like, what, what is this about? He's like, it's, it's a church from the 60s that was built here around this preacher who, his name was A.A. Allen. He believed that he could bring people back from the dead. He had a huge following. There ended up being this whole corruption with the local people. And it, it's a really dark part of history of Arizona that not a lot of people, lot of people talk about. And so these wow. two guys are looking at us and they're like, hey, um, do you, do you guys want to join? Is that what you're here for? And, and he's like, well, you know, give us whatever you got and we'll, we'll think about it. We'll come back. So um, we went and researched the hell out of this thing. And we're sitting there, we're talking about ideas. And we're like, that's, that was the spark that sort of lit the idea for this film. And um, oddly enough, the buddy that was with me, he plays the preacher in the film. Interesting. And we actually got we went and got voice recordings. I don't know. We found it through like a friend of a friend of that preacher from the sixties speaking in that church that we actually kind of bled in. To the Where'd movie. you find that? It and was that... through a comedian friend um, who used to go to sermons in San Francisco with like Anton LaVey and, and, and he had like You're an audio me. record. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. So it was just random how like artistic inspiration can just it's right it's all right in front of you if you just yeah. you're open to it and we just kind of i didn't wasn't trying to force anything i was like hey i, I know i want to make a horror movie and i want i want it to be about a cult and i want to use this beautiful landscape here in the southern arizona so we just kind of went out and explored and felt pieces took photos of cool locations and then we just sort of like started crafting the story but it was really interesting to stumble across that that church and like these the followers of this cult believed in this so much and yeah. i was like when does that start how does that start because it's easy to look back now and be like how could they get involved with something so ridiculous or how but there's just something within us that like grabs us and it's usually a leader it's usually a cult leader if you watch like jim jones or wild wild country or even like the room right the room revolves around 
my eccentric friend who who believes he's you know he believes he's this incredible dramatic actor like marlon brando and he put himself in this part he's got like shirtless scenes and sex scenes and he believes he's just this for it. and it's almost like when you believe that the people you know, or ignite something ignites within them and they respond to it. You know, this is, <clears throat> this is so interesting. Um, my voice is a little hoarse right now because last night I did a performance piece with a friend um, and I dressed up in a, in a costume. So I was a dystopian person um, with a, a megaphone and we were going and basically doing a lot of uh, pro mayor Engen propaganda. And so um, it was, it was a lot of fun and I did it for so long. I started actually taking on this sense of this role and and I almost when I took off the costume I was starting to think in terms of like Heath Ledger playing the Joker and and how much roles can actually kind of take over to some degree um I remember so is jazz I think is the the front man for the killing joke a punk rock band and and he mentioned when Heath Ledger died you know that you have to be very aware of just the power of your own mind and and being able to um, put away maybe a role that you're taking on and so I mean just last night being out there sort of in the community um, And doing this I, I was talking to my friend. I'm like, you know, I'm starting to believe my own propaganda to some degree I think I might love our mayor more than I more than I actually do. It's like this is weird um, And it's really interesting then for you um, to describe the the some the non-fictional sort of origin of then what you took and turned into a, a quote-unquote fictional film um, but maybe a question would be for you, what what is your sense of that that dividing line between nonfiction and fiction? Do you think it's a, a sort of a, a strong dividing line or is it a permeable border that things kind of cross between? So in my experience, I think every artist, writer, painter, you're, you're always pushing from your own life. Because mm -hmm. if you start and you stare at a blank page, that's where people get intimidated because they don't have anything to say or they feel like they, they should be saying something. But really, I learned a long time ago, like people are going to want to connect to what you went through, whether you went through a hardship or, or, or pain and suffering. And, and I feel like any any great work, like the artists work so much better when they're tortured or when they're like in a lot of pain. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. because stuff you, you, you need to express that. Yeah. Um, so I think. You know, for example, like the disaster artist book, right? Like I wrote the experience of making that movie. And what did I do when I sat down and started, like looked at the blank page, what's this book gonna be about? I started writing about a story when I was 12 that I saw the movie Home Alone and I loved it so much I wrote a sequel based in awesome. Walt Disney World and sent it to John Hughes. And it was like, I believed like anything could happen at that age. Mm -hmm. And I got a letter back from him and basically the script was, Terrible, but it was almost like the reality of like, hey, it's dreaming is such a big part of who you are. So, I think any any great work, um, you know, comes from a pain we're going through, through a dream that we never realized or a dream we did realize. Like Ernest Hemingway, I'm reading Old Man of the Sea, and I'm like going through it. There's no chapter breaks. It's just this guy in a boat telling a story, and I was like, well, where did what is this about? And sure enough, it came. He was wrestling with the idea of what success meant to him. And it was almost like him trying to catch this fish and the, does he let go? Does he, why does he keep fighting? It was almost like his realization of what success is. So I feel like any work that's out there, you know, even going back to the room, people ask, is this a personal story? Is it, who is this woman? The, the famous line, you're tearing me apart. Who is this real life Lisa? So I think 
you know, any sort of creative work for the most part is going to be born in, in that nonfiction of those personal experiences. And then it's it's really fun to then take those and bleed into fiction because then you can sort of go anywhere with it. And like you were saying, a lot, a lot of times we have beliefs that we don't maybe feel comfortable sharing as ourselves. We can explore those with, and you know, with the fiction and, and feel like we're telling a, a different story. Yeah. But I think the root of it usually comes with, with nonfiction. Well, it sounds like you... Have you ever been creatively blocked? Because the the idea of kind of going out into the world and just being open to inspiration and being able to look for those little uh, seeds that might grow into something. Um, have you had periods in your creative experience where um, it's just not going, it's not gelling, it's you you feel dry and, and sort of you know empty creatively? Yeah, it's a scary feeling. It's it's really one of those things yeah. where you, it makes you doubt yourself. And for me, I so I'd, I'd written The Disaster Artist and, and people really loved it. And then it got optioned, turned into a film. And I'm like, okay, I've sort of, you know, grasped that experience of what the room is to me. You know, now it's, I, I tackled it. I'm at peace with it. Now I want to get back to what I wanted to do, which is make films. And so I tried, I love series like Breaking Bad and yeah. Fargo, like true crime kind of offbeat stuff. So I was like, I want to do something like that. And I would start to write ideas and write stories and I'd get it maybe a third of the way halfway through and I would, and I, and I couldn't see the end. And I just felt it's such a helpless feeling because you know, <laughs> there's a, there's kernels in there, but it's just not carrying through to something that's satisfying. Yeah. And so to me, when I started to learn that the life I've lived, I have been such gifts because there's so much material that I can share. And that's when I kind of got the idea to write the story about best friends, which was based on a road trip that my friend Tommy and I took years ago up the California coast. And he thought, he later told me he thought I was taking him up there to try to kill him. Oh, wow. So I was like, why? Some paranoia, huh? Yeah, it was because, so we get up, we're, we didn't get a hotel. We're like in the middle of nowhere, Northern California on the coast. There's no hotels. There's like one place that has a vacancy. And I told them to wait in the car because I thought if we went in there, they'd be like, these guys are druggies or he, you know, <laughs> his hair was everywhere. I was like, stay here. I'm going to go get the room. So he yeah. thought I was doing that because I was plotting something. But really, I was like, I just, I was going to say, I'm, I'm just me staying here. So after this huge break of trying to write other stories, I sat down and I wrote this best friend script in four days. Oh, wow. And it was all because I tapped into my real life experiences. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, my buddy that I went to the Miracle Valley Church with, we had been friends for quite a while before then. I hadn't spoken to him in eight years. And I wrote a part based on him in this script. So I literally was pulling like all these experiences um, and I wrote a part for him in this. Didn't know what he was up to, where he was. So we went to make it. I tried to find him and see what he was up to, just with the, the pipe dream of he, he could play this part. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't even acted in years. And so I tracked him down and I was like, hey, I know this is weird. You're not going to believe this. His name's Rick. I was like, I don't know where you are, what you're up to, but I got this. I wrote this part for you and it'd be super cool. Like, would you be willing to do it? And it reconnected us. So I literally, this whole project was based on all these experiences that I'd gone through. And that's when I realized from here on out, I really need to tackle subjects and scripts that mean something personal yeah. to me. Cause I, all the other times I hadn't done that, I never got through. And any, anybody I meet that's trying to write or tell stories is like, you got to write something that's fun for you and it'll be fun for us in, in turn. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, you know, I don't want to get into the content too much of Miracle Valley. Don't want to get into spoilers. People need to go and see it and experience it because already I've heard enough um, that I want to go and see this film. 
Um, we were talking before we started recording a little bit about um, topics like electronic harassment. You mentioned true crime. Um, and we also talked a little bit about a incident that happened in Arizona, sort of that was examined in the conspiracy world. Um, and, and I'm interested if, if you would like to talk a little bit about um, Isaac Cappy and what happened. I think this was, oh goodness, 2018 maybe? No, 20, 2019, I think. Was it, was it 2019? 2019. It was um, May, May of 2019, I believe. Because, so, it, you know, I, I was interviewed by Sam Tripoli. I was on the Sam Tripoli show. You know, obviously he's into sort of the conspiracy culture. A lot of the podcasts that are proliferating um, that I'm interested in look at conspiracy culture and different aspects of, you know, some of the things that are happening. And, um, you know, I was talking with a, a podcaster, Dean Reiner. We did a great interview about gang stalking and electronic harassment, um, what happened to Tracy Twyman around the same time of Isaac Cappy. And it sounded like you were interested in that, the topic of electronic harassment and things like that. And, and you know, having spent time in Hollywood and, and this, this place that now seems to be in a certain degree of implosion, um, it's just such an interesting time and a, kind of a paranoid time. Um, I wasn't around in, in Hollywood in the 70s, but it almost feels like we're getting back to this sort of like hyper paranoid, not being able to trust what's real. And then with technology, um, you know, technology has, is, in my perception, is pretty benign. It can be used in good and bad ways. Um, we're talking, you know, and we're going to be putting a podcast out there for people to listen to. And, and you're here because you listen to a podcast mm -hmm. that, that I was on. So um, in terms of maybe topics that you are interested in um, in the future and, you know, future scripts, what is your perception of topics like electronic harassment and the, the things out there that might lead someone like Isaac Cappy to um, jump off a bridge in Arizona? Yeah, I think that's sort of... Um what's fascinating to me is I, you know, over the course of the past two years, just researching a lot of beliefs and um, pathways to what, how we can spend our time, what, what we, you know, what we believe is real, what mm -hmm. we believe is not. Um, I, I've just come across, there's like, there's two lives that people I feel like live in what I've been studying. Cause I got really into the UFO culture. Yeah, what, yeah, what's real, yeah. what's not. Um, you know, what people want us to perceive and what's reality. And so I think with like the, the social media, I, I come from a time where I'm not, I'm not really like big on social media just because I feel like I, you know, I'd rather, there is some great things to it. Yeah. You know, you can, you can see a, a moment or a snapshot and share it. And it's, that's, I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, I came across a few things uh, some other friends did where, you know, you meet people and there's sort of this um, power that they they give themselves that maybe they can't act out in real life. Yeah, yeah. So they choose to create the other, you know, the other version of themselves that gives them a confidence that then they'll do things that they themselves don't believe in, yeah. but that other alter ego does, and um, and so you come across, you know, for example, whether it's me or uh, it's a few other people I know, they you come across pretty scary incidents because you meet somebody who, you know, I, I always believe in taking a chance on people. You know, I've traveled quite a bit. I've had great experiences, a few few weird ones, like a, one night in Turkey, I trusted the wrong person and ended up in a very scary situation. But yeah, um, yeah. but I wrote this script about a uh, sort of a uh, bizarre, a buddy went through a bizarre stalker. It's called the Most Dangerous Game, which is based on that old short story, which was about hunting people. Yeah, but I yeah. feel, but I feel like now this this story is sort of about hunting people 
currently, which you can do through social media. Mm -hmm. People can know where you're at, what you're doing, where you're at, you know? And so, um, it's just when I, when I researched, um, you know, Isaac Cappy, for example, um, you know, I think you can get caught up in that world of, of getting that instant gratification of meeting people, putting content out, getting responses. And then you start to wonder, are you placating that audience saying certain things because you know you'll get a reaction or you believe those things? Uh, I know there's a lot of people that speak a lot of truth that nobody really knows about them because maybe they're not showy. They're not posting the right things. They're not showing the right things, but what they're saying means a lot. Right. You know, and so there's kind of a, a medium between running, you know, quote unquote business or trying to say, you know, trying to get your truth out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for like, you know, you look at, the, the whole UFO culture and how that's like really, you know, ballooned with, with interest. I mean, it's always been there, but it's always, um, it feels like now it's even more imperative. And so I, I took a uh, UFO night tour in Sedona. Oh, cool. And Sedona is known for being like one yeah, of these it's like giant a vortex. hot spots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we're out there, we got the night vision goggles and, um, you know, we got the, the lights up and the guys explaining what's, a satellite was not a satellite and we're looking up and I'm just going like, there's so many open-ended beliefs of what, what could be and what's, what's your belief and what's your reality. And I, uh, one of the a big a movie that I really loved as a kid, we actually watched it last night. It was called fire in the sky. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and I spoke to the guy who, uh, went through that. Oh really? Uh, his name is Travis Walton. That's he's right. St- he yep. still lives in the small town. I got hooked up to him through a, a manager. Um, and we spoke, uh, we had a phone conversation. I just wanted to kind of know. How old is he now? Is he like in his 60s? He's like 70s. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But he talked about like his experience versus what the movie represented. And I know obviously, you know, having been a part of that, like, you know, a movie's going to change with an adaptation. But he was big on making sure his reality of what he really experienced a film being made to tailor that. Like that's what he is interested in what uh, was he was he okay with the film or did he have I think some it, frustrations? yeah I, I think he felt like it wasn't as true to you know i think anytime you, uh, a film is adapted usually they'll up the crazy up the intensity i, I think the only one that didn't do that was my book because i think my book didn't is so crazy <laughs> i thought i think they had to kind of tone it down and make it more relatable for people because because the 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 friendship between Tommy and I is so bizarre and so strange and there's there's some beautiful moments some dark moments and I think they're like we need to make this a little bit more accessible for a, for an audience so it was like yeah. when I spoke with Dave Franco he's like did you ever believe this film could go anywhere and I was like no but use whatever you got to do because it's like who would it's really hard to understand why would you be part of something if you knew it was going to be terrible but I was like that <laughs> that goes way deeper than I could ever explain so. Uh, I think with Fire in the Sky, it was like, hey, a UFO movie, you know, we want some UFO action. We want to see aliens. And I think they had to up that, up some of those scenes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think going back to, you know, the the social media stuff, I it was just super bizarre. I remember that day. It was the day we, we went to that church in Arizona. When, when Isaac Happy, when you found out. It was the same day oh, that I, I, we were sitting at some like pl- this little like cafe having chips and salsa and I and a buddy of mine sends me a message he's like did you see this and he had it was the day he had passed so I was like three hours I think south of where that happened um but I it's it's a very curious case because you know you see a lot of the the stories and the things that were said and there's a a confidence there there's an intensity there it's just you know and you wonder 
how did that happen? Did he, you know, you never, you all these unanswered questions that um, were always very fast, very, very obviously very tragic, you know, in a lot of ways. But uh, just, yeah, the, the attack on, you know, the electronic, you know, sort of like the most dangerous game, the yeah, hunting yeah. the way it is now, um, it's scary. And I think a lot of people don't realize it's scary until they go through it. Right. And right. then you start, you, there's a paranoia that um, it's really hard to describe, but it almost makes you want to just run from everything. Yeah. You just want to say like, you know, if, if I turn this off, if I take this, whatever, this device and I delete everything and I move on, you, you completely discard that power. Like coming up here to Montana, yeah. being out in the wilderness, there's such a beauty here that you feel like you have everything. You walk, you go for a walk, you see the trees, you hear the sounds, like you don't need any any of that other stuff. But for yeah. some reason, you know, when you plug in, you're in that world. And so it's, it's just, you, I think for a lot of people, you gotta find that medium, but a lot of people have lost touch of what's who they are in real life and who they are on social media that's so true and and one of the i've been talking to some um, friends of mine that that don't necessarily think it's a, a smart thing or a valuable thing to look into these kind of topics they're like you know the people that are claiming to be you know quote unquote targeted individuals um this one friend of mine said they're they're idiots just turn off the computer turn off the phone get away from it go you know into real life meet real people that seems to be an antidote if you're being like harassed electronically um, but you know in in my experience um, I've been forced to take it seriously because um, you know on that Sam Tripoli interview I talked a lot about my experiences working at the homeless shelter um, and how I've had to kind of reassess what what people that are supposedly re responding to internal stimuli would be like the clinical you know term to someone that might be hallucinating or experiencing auditory hallucinations, schizophrenic you know type stuff. Um, and you know I'm kind of stuck now in the situation where um, there's a, a young black man from Oakland who's now no longer alive because he was shot and killed by sheriff deputies last August. Um, August 29th, actually. I'm, I'm a very big fan of synchronicities, although they can be very weird. Um, August 29th is Liz Frazier's birthday. She's the Cocteau Twins lead singer. And one of my favorite synchromystics, Chris Knowles, thinks that she's like this Sybil. Um, she sings songs and, you know, things happen. Um, and, and so it, it's been interesting to engage with this subject, but I also so value in-person interactions. I'm glad that we are here in person speaking because there does seem to be now with this electronic techno technological aspect of you know wanting to connect with people there's that positive thing of connecting to real people but increasingly there's this sense of who am i even interacting with mm -hmm. online is it even a real person I, I mean i have three kids and now i'm trying to sort of train them um to be aware of the fact that you know what kids you guys don't get to make mistakes the way that i did um because your mistakes are documented um technologically in ways that that mine aren't i mean i've i've actually warned my 13 year old that i'm going to show him one of the black mirror episodes basically to 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 freak him out about sending um images of himself if he were to be so inclined because he thinks like a, a young lady might be requesting such a thing i'm like that young lady's probably like a 55 year old you know dirtbag so it's just it's such a weird world that we now inhabit um and i don't know what your experience in the last couple of years has been sort of with the pandemic and all these new restraints on free speech um you know there just seems to be a lot of interesting things happening that, that don't necessarily make it conducive for creatives to be making art and and expressing themselves freely so 
Um, and all, and some of that rambling, is there any anything in there that you want to respond Absolutely. to? Absolutely. <laughs> so I, um, you know, when the when this movie, when the room started to catch on, it was mm-hmm. like 2010, and it, it became a whole Rocky Horror Picture Show live, in-person, right. interactive screening. And so, so Throwing spoons and rituals, you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, throwing spoons at the screen, yelling. And it was sort of, that's where the fun was, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. I've... I pretty much toured the world almost with this film, with the book, with the new movies. Like the only state I have not done that I'm going to do in next month is Alaska. Oh, and I've wow, done all cool. 50. So what, one of the things I love to do is I love to travel and I love to meet new people. I think you grow so much each day when you're out there meeting new people, challenging yourself. So when the pandemic happened, I saw all of a sudden a cyber shift where now I was doing sort of interviews or zoom, oh, you know, zoom Q&As meetings, and yeah. like, you're like kind of waving to other people. And again, it's a, it's, it's a better facility than having nothing. But to me, getting to be here, hang out with friends, go places, go to the theater, like see people's reaction to me. Like that's, that's really what it, what it's all about. I mean, film is so different watching a film on your laptop or being with a crowd and, and you know, having your favorite snack and listening to people laugh and like all of a sudden you get induced by the crowd because someone's yelling something. That's where movies really come alive. And I feel like we lose a lot of that um, when people are sitting home streaming stuff. I know for me, like I don't get into things as much. I'll go on my phone if there's like, I feel like the movie's going on too long. But if I'm in the theater, I would have liked it even more. And so two years ago, my uh, my nephew was born. And um, that's been a, a really, you know, incredible thing to experience spending more time with him. But I started to notice he's obsessed with the phone. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, so we're having an interaction. He will go up to my dad and it's like, oh, that's so cute. Like he likes my dad, but then he knows the phone is in his pocket and he's like, he wants to watch gimme, videos gimme. of himself. <laughs> and then he's on his own phone scrolling and moving. And I'm going like, that is sort of... You know, and I'm kind of pushing like, hey, guys, get him get him into like, you know, get him to watch a really great film that he's going to connect to or get, you know. But that's sort of like where we're headed is, is yeah. technology. And, and you're right, like that you can't anything you write or say or these videos, you create these accounts. That's all stuff that people can stick to. And that's sort of stuff you can't you know get away from. And so before you would take a trip, for example, and we'd go to like Disneyland or Disney World. And it was just you and your brother, like making jokes, hanging out. It was just you guys. It was a family. And now I feel like, you know, that version of me is going to be posting some video of myself saying something or doing something. And so you're almost watching yourself grow up. And a lot of those things, you know, maybe that's not your proudest moment. That's something you fully believe in, but you're saying it then anyway. And so you're sort of pigeonholing yourself into being something that maybe you're not or something you're going to have to explain later that you didn't quite understand. So... I think there's a there's a it's a great place for it to, for for technology and phones and, and social media, but I think um, it's also something that'd be it's really great to to turn off and disconnect oh, yeah. and then see how you feel. I know a lot of people were like, you know what, they're trying to kind of get into it and fit in, and then they realize maybe it's I'm going to take a break from it, and they just they never go back yeah. and they don't miss it at all. So yeah. um, I think it's really having the right like relationships around you, right connections around you, and balance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had to take Twitter and Facebook off my phone because I realized that I was um, too too quickly just going to the screen, checking in on things, and I was my kids were, were seeing this, and they were a lot younger, you know, when I decided to to make that stuff, and it was a great thing to do because it you know 
less less modeling to them that like you have to have your face stuck in this phone, right? Um, but when when you've been in Montana now for a couple of days, it sounds like, and you were up in Trout Creek. I mean, yeah. it sounds like you're doing it right. You're going out into the wilderness I and did, enjoying yeah. the beauty I of our damn incredible, state. Incredible, incredible uh, day yesterday. Awesome. We, we were out. Just, I mean, the nature is just breathtaking. Again, hey. The weather warmed up for you, too. I mean, the, the, yesterday was a beautiful day weather-wise. Yeah. The the moon, I don't know if you saw that fingernail moon that was out. Oh, it was. It, honestly, it and that's where I guess it's, you know, it's cool because I got yeah. some beautiful photos, shared them with some friends. And there, you know what they said? I never thought I wanted to go to Montana. Now it's on my bucket list. Good, so, good. So that's where, that, that, that's where it can be good. But I... Um, there's nothing like connecting in nature. And when you, yeah. and like I said, when, uh, when you're out there, you feel like you have everything. Yeah. And that's just something that I feel like people need to get, you know, get out there more, drive around, see more things. Um, Cause it, it, it's inspiring in a totally different way. Absolutely. Are, are you going to be taking Miracle Valley? Um, kind of, are you touring it now? Is this what you're, yeah, what we're you're doing, doing some advanced screenings before it's like officially released. Oh, okay. Um, because I, again, I, I think that theater experience is so unique. Once it goes yeah. on streaming, I think, it's a different reaction. So we've been taking it to a lot of indie theaters around the country. Awesome. Um, and uh, people have been having a lot of fun with it. It's again, it's, it's winking at what it's trying to say. It's also trying to say some other things to some, you know, to, yeah. to provoke some thought, but um, yeah, no, people have had a really, really great time with it. So that's, that's my hope is to do, you know, some more screenings up until like the Halloween season and then have it officially released. So that's when it, it should be releasing officially that's what I next think. October. Yeah. yeah. Probably later this year. Oh, very cool. Um, I, well, again, I'm very excited to, to be um, checking this out and I really hope that everyone enjoys the, the film tonight. Um, wh where's the next showing then? What's the next date you'll be traveling? So to? I'm going to Texas. Um, oh, excellent. I'm going to Houston, Lubbock, and El Paso, Texas, uh, it's February 18th through the 20th at the Alamo Draft House. And then I'm doing the El Paso Media Fest where I'm gonna meet with the Film Commission and uh, we're gonna do scouting for the UFO movie. So I'm gonna go to Roswell. Oh, cool. I'm gonna go to um, a lot of those regions, White Sands as well. Um, I don't know if you looked into the whole Roswell thing, but it's uh, pretty, you know, Pretty interesting on both sides of there what. is so much fascinating stuff and with um, more effort going into disclosure movements um, I mean you have the Tom DeLong kind yeah. of disclosure efforts um, then American cosmic I'm looking at my, I have so many crazy books up here um, oftentimes I listen to a podcast and I'm like I got to get that book but American cosmic I think kind of touched on Roswell and some of these other sites um, because one of the things it seems like with the UFO conversation is nuts and bolts versus um, is this like, you know, demonic, otherworldly entities? Yeah. Um, I've been very interested in uh, the book Communion and Whitley Strieber. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that, that the, the Whitley Strieber at some point acknowledged that he had some experiences in the UK with the, the church of the, the church of the final, final process church of the final judgment. I always get that name wrong. Um, that church is, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, the, the process church, they were connected to the Son of Sam murders back in the 70s um, and the Charles Manson issue. Issue. That's, that's a weird way to refer to um, that situation. Um, but the, the Process Church is is a very fascinating cult type, you know, entity that um, was started by the DeGrimstons that were former Scientologists. And they were really promoting sort of this like chaos on the streets um, back in the 70s. They would travel around their black coats and German shepherds and pass out pamphlets 
They had like Jimmy Seville had an article in one of their pamphlets. You know, he later was outed as one of the most prolific predators, um, I think, known. And and so it's it's been an interesting thing to kind of um, see the UFO topic through some different lenses. Um, because I, I mean, I have no idea what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting to try on these different lenses and see what things might look like. Um, but where do you sort of fall then when it comes to the idea of maybe um, UFO contact being screen memories for some type of trauma or abuse um, or, you know, spiritual entities, demonic entities or actual nuts and bolts, you know, technology beyond what we can understand and, you know, blinking in, blinking out actual physical things. Do you have yeah, any, any, so, any hard so, opinions? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm the type of person that I um, I don't stick to like I don't want to be right. I'm just I've I'm somebody who just questions and has an open mind. Like if it's this, I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. And I was like, you know, if it's that, even you know, even cooler. So I don't I don't really like own anything. I just sort of discover and yeah. try to process and cross things off. Like, huh, okay, this this speaks to me because this doesn't quite add up with everything else I've learned. So yeah. I'm like, you know, so I'm more open minded that. But I really think it's something. You know, there's a lot out there. There's a lot, you know, there's movies, there's things that are marketed that it, that it's that or their shape is this and this is the purpose. But I really think it's something that uh, I like that sticker. There's been a disturbance in the forest. Um, <laughs> that's sort of what uh, what I was heading to. But yeah, I really yeah. think it's something that we have no idea yeah. that I think if, if it, it, it's so many stages probably to understand what it is, mm-hmm. that it's sort of like jumping from basic math to like calculus. Right. And I think it's it's doing those steps and understanding those certain things, certain things about yourself, why you believe things, certain things, ways you've been programmed. I think it's something so far beyond and so fascinating that you got to do the work to probably understand what it might be. And that's sort of what my the script that I'm writing, it's it, the title right now is called Forbidden Sky. Um, cool. Which is sort of about, you know, my journey in a lot of ways and like other things I've listened to. I used to listen to Art Bell, the... Yeah. The radio host and all that stuff. And I've heard like different episodes that were like chilling and fascinating. And I went down this rabbit hole, Area 51. And why, like, why you always, I feel like the biggest thing is asking yourself why. Yeah. Always ask those questions. What, what's, what's, you know, propelling this forward? Why would this person want this? Why would they say this? What's, what would be the, you know, the purpose of whatever the ETs are? Why are they pursuing things? Why would they act this way? And so, I've just, like, the, the more I've studied, I've just come to the appreciation of my, it's so fascinating and I'm just open to learning as much as possible, trying to understand everybody's thoughts about it, their feelings on it, and then trying to just keep learning and try to come to some sort of understanding. Because right, right now, I, when you go through so many different, it's almost like when you go through the wall, you know what that feels like. So you're like, huh, okay, what else is out there that could help me process these things? So. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's something that we would just blow our minds in many ways. Maybe some people have already discovered and, and have figured it out. We look at them and we're like, man, these people are so far that way. But, you know, I think it's it's a direction that we haven't quite comprehended yet. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, the one of the Sam Tripoli podcasts I listened to recently, um, I can't remember the name of the guest, but the guy was talking about the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that happened last December. And one of the things that I hadn't realized, because I'm not a big follower of astrology, although I've had to begrudgingly admit that Mercury retrograde, especially the last one, just fucking kicked my ass um, and kicked everyone, everyone that I know. I mean, their asses were getting kicked left and right, you know, cars breaking down, relationships blowing up. 
Um, but the way that he described the the conjunction in this um, longer cycle, so the, the, the cycle was described as every 20 years this conjunction happens in a particular sign, and that for the last 160 years it's been in the Earth sign. So this Saturn-Jupiter conjunction has been happening in the Earth sign every 20 years, but it changes every like 160 years, I think I'm getting this right, and that we're going from the Earth sign to now an air sign. And one of the examples given was like, you know, our, our actual money, our currency is going from tangible currency to crypto ethereal currency. And, and, and so, it, and then we, we look at sort of uh, kinetic warfare shifting into information warfare and mind, you know, mind control stuff. And so it seems like you are, um, through your creative process and your own interests are sort of kind of in your own way working through what we might be working through collectively on the, on that sort of bigger macro level um, this shift that, that seems to be happening in, in some way. Um, does that resonate with you? Yeah, I was going to say that's funny because if I, um, so my mom is like French Sicilian, very strict. She, she, she believed I needed to have a nine to five job, like just stick to this safe that yep, way. Yep, yep. But, you know, because I do something creative, it's sort of, I would be so close minded if I wasn't traveling and meeting people you know, like yourself, yeah. talking about these new shifts in 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 beliefs and mm -hmm. currency, and my, like you're saying, and um, so it's pushed me to explore these things and meet people. And like, you know, I, I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, a few months ago, and uh, you know, met these really cool guys that run a film program there. And um, you know, they were they were taking me to Dallas. We were in the Tesla. They was telling me all about. Tesla, I'd never been in one before. I'd like, you know, one like that. So we're talking about that. The guy in Bax, he'd spent the last two years like discovering crypto and like knew everything about it. He had sold everything because now he was like believing this was the future. So yeah. I was like, I would have never known anything about these new happenings in the world. I would probably would have been in a, in a bubble. But because I'm out there meeting people, open-minded, because I don't, like I said, I'm not a, a big believer and I want to be right. I just want to learn. So. Yeah. It's, it's given me so many things to, to learn about and study and find fascinating versus judging them. See, yeah. I, I, don't, I never come at it like, oh, I don't believe that's gonna happen because I want this. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, let's, let's go down this path. And then someone was talking about NFTs or whatever. I'm trying to wrap my head around those right and now. I'm, I, I'm 43 I, I, years old, I'm, I'm kind of an older guy. You're having to drag me into some of this digital stuff. I mean, if you can um, turn farts into money, I'm interested <laughs> because I would like to you know, fund my citizen journalism. Um, I know, right? My, and my kids could generate some some revenue then. Uh, so, but, yeah, so yeah, and I don't, I still don't understand it, but at <laughs> least I know like where mines and, and things are going yeah, as opposed yeah. to I think a lot of times if you're stuck in that bubble you're working you know you're you're, you're doing your thing you're living your life um, it's just cool to me that I get to meet so many different people and learn about these things yeah so. very cool very yeah. cool um, well this has been a absolute joy um, I did not expect to be sitting down with a, a filmmaker who uh, wrote and directed uh, Miracle Valley which will be coming out I think for mainstream audiences it sounds like next October um, the way that this this universe seems to work sometimes with synchronicities, um, this has just been an absolute joy. So thank you so much, Greg, for um, for reaching out to me. Um, 
other places people can find your work is there any like links websites you know all that jazz that, that you'd like to share yeah i mean i hard to believe in this day and age I, I don't have a website but i you know i i am existing on social media uh, yeah. at greg sestero which is on instagram facebook yeah. and twitter and, and i always provide the links um in the show notes um that's always something that's that's helpful to direct people to check out the work sure um and supporting people's work and going out and actually seeing the movies i mean i'm a big fan of financially supporting creative work you know this is a, a new world now in terms of monetizing content for some people that are trying to to get into this um and so any any chance to just support people financially um so that this good creative work can can happen especially independent of some of the larger forces that like to constrain the types of stories that get out there so absolutely yeah well, thank you so much greg um i really appreciate this and this has been an absolute joy so enjoy missoula while you're here um, the Roxy will be showing uh, Miracle Valley at 8 p.m. tonight. The Room will be, be showing after that at 10 p.m. Um, you've got your memoir. You've got other films you've done. And it sounds like some exciting projects coming in the future. So, Definitely. Excellent. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Zoom Cron. You can reach me, Travis Mateer, at my email, willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Um, the song is coming up, but um, just a few more things. Next week, I'm going to have Mystic Mark. This is another uh, interview I've kind of been sitting on. Um, so much stuff going on, so much stuff. But that should be getting up for next Tuesday and then the following Tuesday not sure what I'll be able to do uh, we'll see we'll see we'll see but I may I may miss a week it happens this isn't really a paying gig I do appreciate donations I will include links in the show notes on how you can support me financially I do have a documentary you can check out a great film made by dog magic that's right Magical stuff happened. Engins Missoula is the name of that film. You can check it out at www.enginsmissoula.com. That's E N G E N S M I S S O U L A.com. Now, here's a song. It's a song called Sheriff Man Guy. I, I hope you enjoy it because I enjoyed writing, singing, recording it. Until next time. Okay. I have a new song for another great leader. This leader comes from the county just west of our great county. This is for Sheriff Man Guy. <clears throat> Sheriff Man Guy rules the land, trading horse for tons of truck. Rooster calls and canine balls while worried hens they go cluck cluck. Sheriff shot by Rasta Bob, hilarious until his toe got sick. Funky deputy on the job, show some gratitude, take a lick. Take a lick, oh. Where she goes, no one knows, out in public, man guy show. But wait until the sun goes down, listen to the light turn low. Listen to electric whales Feel the sails of sorrow tide Is our man guy tucking tail Or deeper whales of compromise Compromise, I don't know Oh well, so sad, where's my pole? Fleet to river, time to fish Bait 
the line with ego sign. Rasta Bob, I think you missed. Sheriff man, guy standing tall. Our tinsel dream still in his head. DCI, who takes the fall? While the hens are dropping dead. Water wakes to muddy search. As funky punks put out the flames. Listen, all you motherfuckers. She can't rest. Give up her name. Give up her name. Or pretend for camera eye, I hear tragedy gives good lens. All you fucking save your ties, getting stiff with high five friends. You ology of the kill, chuckling at his PowerPoint. If it fails, here's a pill for holy cowboys to anoint. Where she goes, no one knows. Out in public, the sheriff rots. But wait until the sun goes down and listen for his lying thoughts. Listen to the knowing wind. Trees are not seduced by the fame. When you flip the one-eyed jack, you will find her hidden name. That's for you, Sheriff Man Guy. I hope back on the job you're able to do many great things as warrants your role as great leader of Mineral County.